Okay, Judges chapter 16. We finish up our look at the life of Samson together this evening. And this character study of Samson has showed us a man who had an incredible call of God uh, upon his life. If you remember in chapter 13 there, uh, when God revealed to his parents who had been barren uh, that they were going to have this son, no doubt probably in answer to probably a, a long time of praying and seeking God to give to them a child that finally they were going to have a son and that this son was going to have a unique call of God upon his life. He was to be a Nazarite from the womb. He was to live a life consecrated to God, set apart to God, and God would begin to use him to bring deliverance from the Philistines who had been oppressing them for a 40-year time period. And, and Samson had these godly parents. Uh, we see they were praying parents, and it says that Samson began to grow, and uh, the Lord began to bless his life. The Spirit of God began to move upon his life in a powerful way. And Samson was a man who, with the call of God upon his life, uh, was enabled by the power of the Lord. He had the anointing of God upon his life and the power of God upon his life, supernaturally strengthening him, giving him a giftedness and ability to do things that were quite honestly supernatural. The problem was is that Samson did not have the power of the Lord ruling on the inside of his life upon the throne of his heart and remember as we've seen thus far uh, he was a man whose weakness was internally that he did not have the ability it seems to have any uh, self-discipline any ability to regulate his own passions and his own desires and he was a man who was governed by his passions by sensuality by a desire for instant gratification we find him continuously manifesting kind of his own arrogance in a lot of ways and his desire for immediate gratification whether it was for food or for women or for sexual expression he just seemed to have a real struggle with living after the flesh and unable to rein in his fleshly passions and this became Samson's downfall and really in many ways is what diminished him from experiencing God's absolute best through his life. God had much grander plans for Samson's life, wanted to do incredible things to a, probably a much greater extent, but a lot of that was handicapped by Samson's personal choices and his decisions, uh, his inability to regulate his passions and his desires as a man. We saw in chapter 14 and 15 just this strong desire. He went after a Philistine woman which was outside of the will of God for his life. Uh, he pressed his parents to get this gal for him as a wife. It seems he was just directed by his strong desire for her, the lust of his eyes, the lust of his flesh when he wasn't to be unequally yoked with a woman who didn't worship the same God that he did, but yet he demanded uh, to be married to this a woman. We saw how he continuously just seems to disregard the Nazarite vow and the sort of qualifications that went along with that to not touch anything that was dead, to abstain from anything in the vineyard. He continues to just keep ignoring these things that were a part of his consecration and his relationship to God. Uh, but yet on occasion, God would still be merciful and gracious to Samson. The spirit of God would come upon his life. And at times, uh, though he was having challenges with 
with the Philistines. Remember the whole marriage process fell apart and Samson in his anger and his frustration comes back to think he's going to acquire this wife and then when he doesn't get the wife he sets the fox's uh, tails on fire with a torch between them and the Philistines get angry at him because of that and he slaughters a number of Philistines. Ultimately on one occasion, remember we saw last time as he wrapped up that he killed a thousand Philistines single-handedly with the jawbone of a donkey. So again, just a supernatural enablement as the Spirit of the Lord would come upon his life. He would be able to do great exploits as the anointing of God was upon him. The problem in a lot of ways, however, Samson was very independent. He did not want accountability. He was driven by his passions and he wasn't giving God the credit for what God was doing in his life and thinking much of that was as the result of his own capacity, it seems. Well, chapter 16, uh, things don't get much better. <laughs> Samson continues in some of these same ways we see. Notice the opening verse. If you read ahead, look what we find next. It says, chapter 16, verse 1, that it says, Samson went to Gaza. Now, again, that's Philistine territory. This is one of the five capital cities we talked about before, you know, Gaza and Ashkelon. And these different areas, the sort of the Philistines established like a pentopolis where there were basically five different cities that were sort of the capital cities of their territories. And here we see Samson again, and he's now once again back in Philistine territory. He's upwards to over 30 miles away from his home. And again, you have to wonder what is Samson doing in enemy territory. Why is he in Gaza? Why is he hanging out in Gaza again? But take note, because he's in Gaza, it says he then saw a harlot, a prostitute. We know what that means. And he went into her. That is, he went in, solicited her services, and had sexual encounter with her the way you pay a prostitute or a harlot to have a sexual encounter. So here's Samson. He's in enemy territory. He basically exposes himself to temptation and then can't handle the temptation and his sensual passions and ends up spending the night with a prostitute. So again, here's a man. He has the call of God upon his life. He's hanging out in places he shouldn't be hanging out. He exposes himself to things he shouldn't be exposing himself to. And listen, whenever we do these kind of things... In foolishness, we are simply exposing our flesh, our sinful you know, tendencies, our sinful passions and desires, which live in every one of us to extremes beyond many times what we are able to handle. Uh, and again, it does not matter if you are someone who has been a Christian for a week or a Christian for 10 years. It doesn't matter if you are somebody who's walking with God for a month or walking with God for 10 years, or if you're someone even who the call of God is upon your life, like Samson, a man who wasn't just a follower of the Lord. He was a vessel, a conduit, somebody who God had called to use for his purposes, but yet he makes this foolish decision in poor stewardship and judgment. He's in enemy territory and he's in an area where there would be predominantly a lot of harlots and prostitutes and he ends up succumbing to his sexual passions and spending the night with a harlot, with a prostitute, committing sexual immorality again. This is the second time the Bible records, and I use the word the Bible records, 
Because the Bible doesn't record everything. Uh, keep in mind, there are a lot of things that happen that the scripture is just silent about. The scripture gives us a record of some things, but uh, this is the second time now it's recorded of Samson engaging in relationships with women that he has no business being involved in. And again, we see this is clearly one of his real downfalls as a man. Uh, and sadly, this can be a great downfall many a time. Many good men are taken down in this way. Uh, and Samson is uh, no exception to that. He ends up spending the night in Philistine territory with a harlot. And as he's there spending the night, verse 2 says, When the Gazites, that is the Philistines who lived in the area of Gaza, were told Samson has come. And keep in mind, Samson has quite a reputation at this point. He killed 30 Philistines to steal their clothing articles to pay off Remember when the riddle event happened at the marriage and his riddle got exposed. He killed a group of Philistines again on a second occasion and then he killed a thousand Philistines. So, I mean, this guy's taken out quite a good number of Philistines. The Philistine people don't like Samson. He's someone who troubles them, who's someone who continues to be a, a destroyer in their land and enemies. So they hear that Samson is now in their territory and it says they surrounded the place there at the harlot's house and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were quiet all night saying in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. So not only has he exposed himself to sexual sin, but now he's putting his life in danger. I mean, he's literally putting his life in jeopardy. They're ready to put him to death this night, waiting to kill him. Again, because he's engaged in things he's not supposed to be, he's making himself vulnerable to all types of dangers and problems in his life. And he's bringing these problems upon himself because he's where he ought not to be with people. He ought not to be. That's a good reminder for us on occasion when we're finding ourselves drawn to do the same. Verse 3, and Samson, it says, apparently must have got word somehow because it says he lay low till midnight and then he arose at midnight. He wasn't going to wait till the morning. And notice, again, this is astonishing, shows you the grace of God. Apparently, he's supernaturally infused with God's power again because it says he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and two gateposts pulled them up bar and all so he literally rips their gates and the posts and everything there out of the ground throws them over his shoulders again keep in mind these were sometimes up to 12 foot spans a city gate i mean this is a lot of weight here uh for these materials throws them over their of his shoulders and then carries them to the top of a hill so he goes up in the incline that faces Hebron. So he, as a way somewhat really of keep in mind, this is almost sort of just mocking the people here in this sense. A person's city gate was basically their defense. You, know, you would close the gates at night or you'd close the gates if an enemy was approaching uh, your city. The city gates was a way to keep themselves safe. To, and Samson here is a, sort of just a mockery. He just rips up the gates and the posts and everything and carries them to a faraway hill. And in the morning, they say, hey, can you send a party out there to you know, get our gates back that Samson stole from us? Bring them back and get a repair crew on that and fix that up as soon as possible here. So God graciously allows him to elude the death process when he could have been killed. Uh, again, just God's mercy is absolutely incredible, but he escapes here once again. Verse 4, and afterward, 
it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Surak, whose name was Delilah. Now, again, keep in mind, this is the third woman now in Samson's life. This is the third relationship he now enters into with another woman. Again, none of them clearly being godly women, none of them being good decent counterparts for him every relationship is built on a wrong foundation the way he enters into it it's built on you know lust and sensuality and physical attraction alone there's no basis for anything else of the way god would want a relationship entered into and all of these women are are, are not quality women he's pursuing a relationship but again once again this is his weakness he he's again attracted it seems to another woman here in the valley of Surak. Delilah, and, and she's, she's quite an individual. We'll see. Verse 5, look what it says. And the lords of the Philistines came up to Delilah and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us, notice they offer, will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So the five lords of the Philistines would sort of be like the, the leaders from those five different capital cities. Uh, and, and they come to Delilah now. Apparently she has some connection and interaction with them. The word somehow leaks that Samson's now fallen in love with this new woman or fallen in lust, whatever you want to refer to it as what it was. And he's began to develop this attraction and this bond and he's wanting to spend time with Delilah or beginning to have regular interactions with her. So they come to her and they offer her an exorbitant amount of money. It says here in verse 5, Every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That literally is hundreds of pounds of silver. I mean, this is a, a large sum of money. So they offer her a, a great amount of money. And we'll see as the text goes on, it seems that Samson is desirous of Delilah for physical and sexual passion. Delilah is interested in Samson for money. And so she's willing to give the physical thing for the financial benefit and he's willing to do the exact opposite. And here she is very interested. They now propose to her, look, if you can entice him, if you can use your sexual power and persuasion over him to get out of him, what's the secret of this guy's strength? Tell us what it is because we want to get rid of him. We want to bind him and capture him and, and they don't want to just capture him and kill him. They said, we actually want to afflict him. We want to make him suffer for what he's done for us. So use your power as a woman, they say, entice him, find out where his great strength lies so we can overpower him and deal with him once for all, bind him and afflict him and punish him. Now take notice, verse 5, again, that we may find out where his great strength lies. Now that tells us something again. I've already made mention of this, I believe, before. They don't know why Samson's so strong. Now that tells me something. If Samson looked like one of these Mr. Universe bodybuilders, like a major, just a muscle head, you know, biceps bulging where he's like, oh, can you scratch my back for me? I can't quite get it back there. You know, I mean, if he had big, bulging, obvious muscles, they wouldn't say, why is this guy so strong? His muscles would indicate why he's so strong. But they're looking at him and he probably looks like a pretty normal guy. 
He probably just looks like a very average, usual Joe, or might honest, quite honestly, maybe he's even kind of rather skinny and frail, which even baffles them even more. Oh my goodness, I mean, where, where's this guy getting this kind of strength from? Again, it goes to show that his strength was not in his physical capability. His strength was from the Lord. His strength was because of the power of God and the Spirit of God being upon his life because they can't figure out. They want to figure out where his strength comes from. It's because of his consecration and connection to God. And once that is pushed beyond its limit, then he's just as weak as every other man in their humanity. So they're saying, Delilah, do what you can to find out his secret of his strength and we'll give you this large sum of silver. So she's interested in the money. Verse 6, so Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Now, let me just say, guys, that should be the first clue. This might not be a gal that's good to keep hanging around. Please, honey. Could you tell me where your great strength lies so that you may be bound and afflicted? And, and I mean, just astonishing. You know, she's trying to persuade this to get this out of him. Tell me, she says, I want to know. Well, verse 7, this is to show you Samson's personality. Uh, Samson is somebody who, honestly, he treats his relationship with God in a very trivial manner. He's a man who clearly, at this point in his life, has no reverence for God, He's very casual in regards to this whole thing of being a Nazarite unto God, being separated unto God, and that this is where his strength lies. Because you notice what he does in this section is rather than recognize what she does or, or right away, he starts, he just plays a game. He, he just plays with fire here. He just kind of makes a joke out of the whole thing because he thinks nothing can ever happen to me because I'm, I'm Samson. And the people love them some Samson. I'm Samson. Nothing will ever happen to Samson. So Samson here starts to play a game. He starts to fool around in his own sort of arrogant attitude. He says to her, verse 7, Well, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, so that way they would be green and strong rather than brittle, then I shall become weak and like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines, notice, brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. So he's just playing along. This is probably all done in jesting. Yeah, go ahead, try it. So she binds him here. And apparently Samson doesn't know this, but it says, verse 9, Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches the fire. So notice again, there it is. The secret of his strength was not known. It wasn't a, a visible strength. Well, verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now, please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said, well, if they bind me with securely new ropes, that have never been used, nice and strong. They're not stretched out or weakened. Then I shall become weak and like any other man. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them. And he said, she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. 
And men, again, were lying in wait, staying in the room. And again, they're probably waiting to see if he's going to not be able to set free. They're not going to jump out and risk their lives because they know what's happened before. So they're waiting there, should this work. But again, notice it says, verse 12, he broke them off his arms like they were a thread. So again, second attempt, completely unsuccessful. But she's persistent and he's a fool. Verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, until now, you have mocked me and told me lies. How can we build a good relationship if you can't be honest with me? You know, I mean, this is just ridiculous here. You know, she's completely deceiving him and he's totally going along with the process. How can we build a relationship? You're mocking me. You're not being honest with me. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So verse 14, she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. So again, third attempt failed, doesn't work. I want you to take notice though. please don't miss as it comes to the third attempt now. Do you notice how Samson is starting to weaken and he's playing with the matchbook more and more because now he's first couple times he says, yeah, bind me with this, bind me with that. Now he says, tie my hair into something. Oh, wait a minute. His hair, remember, is connected to his Nazarite vow. They weren't to shave their head. They were to let their hair grow. Now he's getting a little bit closer. He's just gradually edging towards the, you know, the, the, the edge of the cliff. He's getting closer and closer. Before he was just letting her tie him up. Now he's actually putting his hair, which was the symbol of his consecration to God as a Nazarite, the outward symbol, which was the most evident one. Not touching a vineyard would be a periodic thing or anything from the grapevine. You know, not touching the dead, that would be a periodic thing. But the hair growing on a person who was a Nazarite and not being cut or shaved, that was a constant and the strongest symbol of their commitment and dedication to God. And now he's bringing his hair up into the subject. So he's gradually beginning to let down his defenses. Now, I don't know about you, but you read you know, this situation here, verse 5 down through four, verse 14, and in all honesty, you, you read it and you think, boy, that seems really strange. I mean, what, what? why would this guy behave? I mean, so foolishly. I mean, he makes here what appears to be some really stupid decisions. I mean, here she's saying, come on, please tell me the secret of your strength so that you can be bound and afflicted. I just want to bind you and afflict you. That's all. That's all I want to do. I just want to tie you up and put you in pain. Please tell me. And he goes back and forth and, and rather than recognize, man, this might, might be time to end this date early. You know, this might not be a good date or maybe this ought to be our last time seeing each other. Instead, it seems that Samson here is making these foolish decisions. But see, Samson's sensual passions and his casual attitude, unfortunately, about what was right had clouded his reasoning. That's why he doesn't have good judgment. His sensual passions had become so strong and he was so governed by his desires and his sensuality that his good reasoning just went out the window. And you start acting like a fool. And people begin to just lose their good judgment. His sinful desires and his activity of sin 
had really, truthfully, it had polluted his mind at this point. And so therefore, because of the series of sinful decisions, it had ruined his ability truly to think normally, to think properly. Because sin, we know, has a deceptive power that it brings into life. And we have all seen before in lives where you look at them and you think, what were you thinking? Where was your judgment? Where was your reasoning? Look, in some ways, it wasn't working. Their reasoning wasn't working. Their thinking was failing. It was fogged and clouded. And their capacity to reason properly had been so deluded and so broken because of the deception of sin that had taken over their life. And sin, basically, when somebody engages it, it's literally like being injected with a foolishness drug. And people begin to just think wrongly. They begin to make very poor, their judgment goes out. And and Samson, sadly, he's playing games here and he's playing with fire and he thinks he's not going to get burned. He thinks he's not going to get burned. When the reality is, it's the exact opposite. He's going to get burned quite greatly. Let me just read to you two sections of Scripture because I think they fit very well with this section in Samson's life. If you're a note taker, you can jot them down. But just listen to them so we can go back to our study in Judges. Both from Proverbs. Proverbs 6, verse 24 to 27. It says this, To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress, Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids, for by the means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. And an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? A clear rhetorical question and a sad indication of what can happen in these kind of dangerous and very difficult things when temptation in this area is very strong. The drawing in. Listen as well to Proverbs chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. I think this speaks of Samson's error and weakness as a man as well. It says, Proverbs 7, 21, with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know that it would cost his life. And it literally does with Samson in this situation. Again, these warnings in Scripture, again, knowing the weakness, the tendency of men, to at times be very prone to struggle and stumble in this area of sensuality and physical attraction towards a woman. And the Bible also knowing the power of a woman to be able to draw in, to entice, and to get a man to yield in this way. You know, it's very interesting. Study the scripture for yourself. But the Bible continuously warns men against women. The Bible doesn't do the opposite. The Bible doesn't warn women, be careful, he'll entice you. I just think, no, he won't. The Bible doesn't say, be careful, you know, he'll allure you, he'll draw you in with his words and his seductive power, because that doesn't happen typically. But God knows the weakness of men, 
and the power and the persuasion of a woman in this area and so it speaks about it and here is a perfect illustration of exactly what's taking place so again back in Judges this third attempt does not work but verse 15 she then it says said to him after three failed attempts how can you say notice she's going to work him over now how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me you're, you're not dedicated to me you have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. It says, verse 16, and it came to pass, the Holy Spirit records this, don't get mad at me, when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all his heart. So she kept persisting, nagging him, pestering him verbally day in, day out, continuously, it says, with her words pressing him, persisting, so much so that it says his soul was vexed to the point where he was ready to die by the constant nagging. Finally, he just said, that's it, I can't take it no more. And he tells her everything now. And he just opens up and shares with her secrets that he never should share with her and tells her his whole heart. Now, now I want you to notice something here. Samson, think of this. Samson could defeat a thousand Philistine soldiers. And yet this same man could not handle and resist one attractive, persistent woman. That's a sad testimony. But this just goes to show you the capacity to fail in this area. Samson had no strength when it came to self-control and his personal discipline. He was driven by his desires and he becomes a picture, a warning of failing to look beyond the moment and the impulse and the strong desire and what it yields ultimately and the, the great danger and the devastation that can some come when we don't learn to regulate our passions. We don't learn to control and rule over our own appetites and desires. And I think this reveals as well here, especially verse 15 and 16 particularly, it reveals the power of women is what? Influence. Influence and persuasion. As she had the power of influence and the power of persuasion, she was able to push him to a point where her influence was so strong she was able to get ultimately what she desired. Women have an incredible, incredible power of influence, a power of persuasion. And let me just say, ladies, you can use that in a good way or you can use that in a very negative way. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's something that God has given to women. My encouragement is, is use the power of influence and persuasion in a good way rather than in an unhealthy way. Here she uses it in a very hurtful way. Samson now tells her, all that's in his heart, verse 17, he said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God. Again, remember the word Nazarite means separated. He's saying, here's where my strength lies. I have been separated to God. My relationship with God, he's saying, that's the source of my strength. It's not this hair. The hair was a symbol of it. It wasn't the hair itself. The hair was just symbolic of his dedication and that commitment and that vow to God that he had been separated to live for God. He says, that's where my strength lies. I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. And if I am shaven, 
then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and like any other man. So Samson indicates that his strength was in his commitment to God. This is what it is. And he says, if that is ended, if that is cut off by the, again, symbolic indication of the cutting off of his hair, then that strength would then disappear from his life. And again, remember, at the end of the Nazarite vow, they would bring the vow to an end or a close by then cutting off their hair. That was the end of the vow. So if his hair is cut off, that indicates that vow of separation, of dedication to God, it's come to a close, it's come to an end. So Samson says, if that commitment to God is breached or, or terminated, then my strength will disappear from my life. I'll be a weak man. Well, verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told him all her, his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines saying, payday has come. Come up once more. He's told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up and notice brought the money in their hand. That's what she was after. And then verse 19, she used her skill or power. She lulled him to sleep on her knees. And again, the amazing Samson still falling prey to this. And called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. So his hair has now been cut and severed. Then she began to torment him. The idea is to, to wake him up once again as she has in prior occasions. And his strength, the Bible says, left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, look at his language, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Now, I'll tell you, that's probably one of, in a list of some of the saddest statements in the Bible. That Samson, it says, woke up, his strength has departed from him. Now take notice of the connection there as well. Verse 19, it says, his strength left him. And why did his strength leave him? Well, look at verse 20. It says, because the end of the verse, the Lord had departed from him. His strength left him. Why did his strength leave him? Because the Lord had departed, had pulled back from him. The idea is pulled back his favor, his blessing, his anointing of the spirit being upon his life for the power and supernatural enablement that had been there before. And what a tragedy to see. Samson, again, shows you his self-confidence. I will go out as before. I've always done this. I know what I'm doing. I, I've done this. I'll go out as before at other times and I will shake myself free. He, he thinks it's within himself. He actually has come to a place of being self-deceived where he just thinks that he regulates this, that he has the control over it, that somehow it's, you know, he, God, God gave him his boost and yeah, he's thankful. Thank you, God, for the good start. And, but, but I got this now and, and I can handle this now. And he kind of thinks that God set him off on his path. Yeah, God gave me my foundation, but hey, I, I have got it. It's under control now. And so he thinks he's going to go out as at other times. And he thinks, you know, I, I've been doing this forever and there's never been a problem yet. And, and I want you to notice here in this, Samson had become so out of touch with God relationally, personally in his own life. He'd become so out of touch with God relationally. He does not even notice or realize God's presence and favor has now been retracted from his life. That's the sadness of this. It says there, 
he's going to go out as other times, he did not know the Lord had departed from him. He didn't even realize it. He'd become so disconnected in a person away from God. And because of, really, a couple things here, the delay in the consequences of his lifestyle of sin, and because of the fact that God was, listen, still using him, because he was, right? God was still using Samson. This guy, amazingly, God would keep being gracious, the Holy Spirit would come upon him, and he'd defeat a bunch of Philistines. God was still using this guy. The anointing of God was still upon him to do works of God. And because there was a delay in the consequences and God was still using him, he wrongly believed that he could persist in wrongdoing and sin and that it wouldn't catch up with him. Or maybe even worse, that somehow God was winking at it or, or God was just okay with what he was doing because there were no real consequences severely and God's still using me. And sadly, this can be a, a deceptive mindset that people can fall into at times where because there's a delay in the consequences and God's being patient and God's being merciful or, or, or a person, I, I've even heard this come out of people, well, well, look, God's still using me. I mean, look how God's using me still. And yet there's this thing going on in the personal life, the private life, the attitude, the inward person that is completely out of connection with God out of God's will, sinful, wrong in many different ways, and yet the person is deceived to think that God is okay with it, and that he had, sometimes even, maybe Samson, he's somewhat thinking, I've outsmarted God here. Because God's given me allowance here, and I guess I have a, a special allowance from God, because I am such a unique individual, I can kind of play both parts, and God's okay with that, when the reality is God is patient, and God is merciful. But the Bible also says that his spirit will not strive with man forever. And ultimately, there will come a time where God will pull back his hand then from a life. It may be weeks, it may be months, it may be years, but God will then pull back his hand from a life and the whole house of cards will come crashing down. And this is what Samson, sadly, is experiencing here. And he made the mistake to think that he could handle things in his own strength and giftedness and sadly does not even realize what had happened. Verse 21 says, Then the Philistines took him, look at this, and put out his eyes. Historically, commentators say this could have been done a number of different ways. Sometimes they literally would just scoop out the eyeballs. That doesn't sound pleasant. Or, or with a, a, a hot iron or something, they would puncture the eyeball or just put a red-hot glowing iron so close to the eye that literally the, the eye would be so damaged from the bright light it would just melt uh, as the result of that. None of them sound pleasant to me. But, but look what happens here. And isn't this interesting? What was one of Samson's really big problems? He had an eye for the ladies. Them eyes were always getting him in trouble, the lust of the eyes. And now here... It says he's blinded. They put out his eyes. It says they also brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters. And he became a grinder in the prisons. So take note of, of this utter humiliation of this champion of this strong man now as they begin to torture him. And I think what's described of Samson here, though it was a literal thing and experience, it's also the Holy Spirit's illustration of the consequences and results of what happened to any life that persists 
or is given over to sin or sensual pursuits. This is exactly the same thing that happens. A person becomes blinded, their perspective. They become bound or enslaved, and then they find themselves in a miserable, purposeless existence. Just like Samson here. It says they blinded him. And people, when they enter into sort of a giving over of themselves to sin in their life, this is what always happens. They become blinded. They literally just lose their perspective. They lose their ability to see properly, to see as they should. They don't see God correctly. They don't see life and morality correctly. And they're living like a blinded person wandering through the world, making their choices and decisions. And they become bound. It starts out as fun and they're in control and they're pursuing their thing and they're doing it. But then ultimately, the very thing that they can't you know, stop going after, it actually then enslaves them. And they become a prisoner to it. And they find themselves bound and unable then to be set free. They find themselves stuck in habitual behaviors and lifestyles. And they become enslaved to things. And they, like Samson, it says, they made him a grinder in the prison. The idea is working you know, to do the things that the slaves would do. Here he is grinding out the flour out of the crops and so forth. And again, just this miserable, monotonous existence. Doing this all day long is can't even see. I mean, just a, a meaningless, empty, wasted potential of a life living like a slave doing this monotonous job all day long, just grinding out the flour there like the prisoners that were among them. And sadly, this again is, is often what happens. People's lives become reduced to a miserable existence. And someone who once was chasing it and passion and pleasure, now they find themselves living in a condition where they feel they're miserable and purposeless. And this is such a sad illustration of ultimately what happens. Well, look at verse 22. It gives some sense of hope and optimism here now. It says, however, there he is, blinded. He's bound in shackles. He's grinding out grain in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaven now i think beyond a shadow of a doubt the spirit of god incorporates that verse into this passage in a symbolic way to indicate grace and hope here he is he's blinded he's weakened he's humiliated he's failed miserably the bottom's fallen out He's grinding away in a prison in just this miserable existence and he's probably got plenty of time to think. He can't see anything. He's doing the same thing day after day, hour after hour, this boring, miserable existence. And yet the Bible says, however, the hair of his head, it began to grow again. This is an indication of God's grace that God was still wanting to forgive and restore this man's life. Though it was broken and fractured, God was going to pour out his grace. God was going to be merciful to him and that there was a sense of hope that all was not lost. There was still a future even for this man. There was still a future for him because God is a gracious God and God has a plan and a hope and a future for us even when we hit rock bottom. Though the pain and the suffering and the problems may be attached, God always still has hope in the future. And again, God can gradually begin, like the hair beginning to grow gradually, God can gradually begin, little by little, 
to put pieces back together. To Again, it may not have been what Samson's life, but God began once again to work in Samson's life, and he's come to the bottom now. But from there, God's going to begin to work through his life once again. And this is a great encouragement. Listen, it does not matter how greatly a person has failed, mistakes, what they've done, there is grace and hope from God still to restore lives, to bring back to people what God in some ways originally intended for them. Again, they may not experience all of what God intended, but it doesn't mean God's done with people. God didn't just leave them there in the prison in that existence. Look what happens as the story comes to a closure. It says the hair of his head began to grow again. But the lords of the Philistines gathered together, offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and rejoice and said, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, again, in this humiliated condition, they praised their God and said, Our God has delivered into our hands, our enemy, the destroyer of our land and the dead who multiplied our dead. And so it happened when their hearts were merry, that means adequately drunk, they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them and they stationed him between the pillars. So they in their drunken stupor now, they're having this great festival to Dagon, their God's celebrating. They finally stopped this problem person who was always overcoming them in battle and so forth and it says now they call for samson again keep in mind he's blind and they say hey, bring him in we could we could use a little entertainment and no doubt what they're doing in their drunken stupor is again he's he's blinded he's in this humiliated condition and here this individual that was so strong probably now they're tripping him and pushing him and cracking up look at this and they're just making a fool out of him and they're just enjoying to no end this sport and mockery of Samson in this defeated condition now in a very cruel manner as people often do. When someone is broken, they get somehow strange pleasure out of making it worse for them. Verse 26, And Samson then said to the lad, the young boy who had led him out there by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Notice, he asked for help. That's the first time in Samson's life he ever asked for help. That's called humility. He's finally broken now. He's saying to a young boy, can you help me? I've been living independent and self-sufficient and with no accountability and trying to do it all on my own. And I've been a really arrogant man. Can you help me? And he tells this young boy, can you lead me? Put my hands on the pillar. First time he asked for some assistance in his life. And the temple, it says, verse 27, was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. And Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may be with one blow, take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. So the second time now, only one of two times we find that Samson prays. Now he prays from a spot of complete brokenness. He's a humbled man now. He's someone who's hit the bottom, if you would. And Samson is now humbled. He understands. You can tell by his prayer. He admits where his strength comes from now. Do you see what he says in his prayer? Oh, Lord, strengthen me. Strengthen me, God. I have no strength in myself. That's been my problem my whole life. He says, oh, Lord, 
I'm fully dependent upon you. I'm blinded. I'm weakened. I'm humiliated. God, I have nothing left. There's nothing that I can do. But he says, Lord, if you'd just be gracious to me one more time. Lord, if you would strengthen me, he says, so that for your honor and, and so that I can take vengeance upon these Philistine enemies for the, my two eyes that they've gouged out. So he prays, he asks for God to supernaturally infuse him with strength just one more time. And notice God answers in his grace. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on the left. And then Samson uttered his last words, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, supernaturally empowered by God, of course. And the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed, look at this, at his death, were more than all he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all the household came down and took him and brought him and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of his father Manoah. And he had judged Israel for 20 years. So Samson here prays this prayer, asks God, strengthen me one more time. And then God does. Again, God gives him the, the, the grace that he needs. Why? Because he humbled himself before the Lord. The Bible tells us in James 4, it's an illustration here, God resists the proud. That was Samson's problem his whole life. But he gives grace to the humble. And he now humbles himself. He cries out to God in humble prayer for strength as a broken, humbled man. God pours out grace and fuses his power into Samson's life as he had done before, works in his life. And Samson, with one last effort, is used by God to be the deliverer he was always supposed to be. And it actually says in this one act, as God empowers him spiritually and supernaturally, he actually kills more Philistines in this death experience as he pushes out the walls and 3,000 people come crushing down and dying together with him as he pushes out the, temp the, the temple's pillars. And it says he killed more at his death than he actually did in his life when he was trying to do it so often in his own attitude and his own strength. And again, what a, an interesting picture I see here as well because when humility came, notice it's in surrendering and actually you could say dying to himself that he finally succeeded the way God wanted him to. But it wasn't until he died to himself, a life that experienced great shipwreck by God's grace culminated in the greatest victory it ever had. This was a shipwrecked life, but yet God took it, God broke it, and in humility and death to himself, in a sense, God was able to accomplish greater victory in the end, ultimately, in his life. Let's stand together. Let's pray.